Well, really good to see each of you here. It's so good to be back. And if you want to find your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We are continuing our series called True Church, and we are walking through passage by passage this amazing book. And while you're uh, finding your Bibles, I'd imagine that almost every one of you has one of these, right? Got one of these? Okay. You know what it is, don't you? Right? It's your mobile phone. Yeah. Uh, by just saying phone, you're like, okay, it can call people. And, it, and indeed, it can, right? But your phone likely can do far more than you probably have ever imagined. In fact, if all you know is like, well, I've got a phone, and, and so what I can do is I can, I can make phone calls, and that's all you know about this, then you're probably wondering like, well, why is everybody just like having these magic rectangles in front of them all the time? And they're just like this, right? I don't know if you've ever observed people like on a bus or, or just kind of walking around and there's just, everybody's like this right now, okay? And you're like, if you don't know that it does more than just phone calls, you don't realize like, wow, this, this is actually a really powerful tool. I mean, you can send text messages, emails, uh, you can access millions of websites. Uh, there are multiple apps that you can get. I mean, anything from Be Real, so you can kind of just take a Be Real shot with you and your you and send it to your family, or you can get real-time numbers on the stock market, all sorts of news. All this is available. You need a calculator. It's got one of those. You're lost. It's got a compass, right? It tells you the time. I mean, there's so much you can do. If you want to take a picture of yourself or 500 that day, you can do that, right? And people do like, you know, like, I'm like, what are you doing? You know? And then if you want to make a video, you can, you can do that. And it's, it's like really good. And if you want to like FaceTime where you can actually see your family members or your friend and talk and walk at the exact same time, all of this is available. But of course you have to know about it, right? And then you have to know just a little bit on how to access that, but it's really easy. It's all available, but most people only have understand a few of the functions of the phone. They've never really explored or gotten to know all that you can do with this. And I tell you this because it's actually, this is like a lot of folks who are believers. They, they know, yeah, I'm trusting Jesus as sa- my Savior. And they know a little bit about the Christian faith, go to church, read their Bible, maybe occasionally, um, but they, they don't really know much about God or all the tremendous resources that we have in him. And friends, what we and I need to know is that God wants to move us past inch-deep Christianity. So many people have just settled for an inch-deep experience with God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Jesus is a part of my life. But I'm just pretty much doing life on my own. And they never realize the multitude and the massive benefits and the blessings of being in Christ. So how does God cultivate depth in his people? Well, we're going to discover that if you got your Bibles open at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Here you have one of two amazing prayers in this book. And in this passage that we're going to see, we're going to see how God actually develops depth in our lives. This is going to take you from being an inch-deep Christian to open up the pathway to experience the fullness of the joy of the multitude blessings we have in Christ. The first thing God does as he develops and in his people, as he's developing depth in us, is he cultivates a compelling faith 
in Jesus. Take a look, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He says, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So looking at verse 15, did you notice, and this is kind of by way of review, how does God cultivate depth? He does so by developing in us a compelling faith in Christ Jesus. And notice what he said here. He says, I have heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus. The word Lord could be even translated master. And it was very evident from the reports that Paul is getting. Mind you, he's in prison. It's been about four years since he's last been in Ephesus. But he keeps getting reports of how God is at work in his people, how they have a faith in Christ that is compelling. And you're like, well, what would that look like then? A lot like it looks like now. For instance, these people were identifying with Jesus Christ. They were unashamed of the gospel. You know, right now there's a lot of pressure in society for you to go incognito with your faith in Christ, right? You just kind of keep that out of the sphere. You don't mention at work, not at school. You just kind of fit in and you don't say anything about Jesus, right? And everything's going to be just fine. That is the mold that the world is trying to shove you in. But when you realize, wow, there is so much freedom in Christ. My identity is not in my past or my position or my possessions. My identity is in Christ. And all those insecurity issues, I mean, we all have them, right? I want you to know that when you realize that your identity is in Christ, all of a sudden, all those insecurities start fading away. You've got gravitas. You've got courage. You have a faith in Christ. And that faith in Christ allows you to start taking initiative with people. Like you'll actually engage in spiritual conversations. You're like actually looking for opportunities to do that. And you start investing in the lives of others. You want to serve. You want to help. You want to grow. You want to help people grow in their faith and develop disciples. Why? Because you have a faith in Christ. And friends, when we live in this faith and live out this faith, I want you to know it's compelling. And people take notice. And when we do this, why, we're growing. When I was flying uh, back uh, to Waco on Friday, uh, I sat next to a guy by the name of Antoine. He is an infantryman in the U.S. Army. He's going to his mission in Laredo. And uh, it was such an amazing conversation to talk with this young man. I was able to ask him about his life, his background, uh, found out, you know, like what he did in the service, what that was all like. I mean, he had such an interesting perspective, like, for instance, on Afghanistan and our exit from there, or like what's really going on in the Ukraine and what they thought about Ukrainian soldiers and the Russians and all that was going in. He had a lot of insight. It was really interesting. Or what the border situation is really like and, and just even the compassion that they were exercising and trying to be helpful there. And I'll tell you what, it was really insightful. And as I got to know him better, uh, you know, found out that he was a Christian, had uh, trusted Christ uh, earlier in life, but he kind of like lost his way, but was really eager uh, to like, get back on track. And so I'm like, great. And uh, he's going to Laredo, and I'm like, hey, you know, I've got a good friend, Eddie Aranda. He's the senior pastor of Grace Bible Church there. I just actually spoke at a men's retreat a couple months there. I got to go. I got to meet a lot of his guys. 
this is a great church. You would want to go there. And, I, and so he was like really interested, like, what's the name of that? I want that. And, and as we're talking, like, you could just really sense this guy really wanted to grow. And I said, you know, one of the things that has been most helpful for me in my life of growing in my faith in Christ and is, is this, to see my life as my ministry. All of my life, not just a part of it, but all of my life is my ministry. And I tell you, it was so encouraging just to be with a guy like this that wanted to start just con- to grow, to get engaged, because he had a faith, and he wanted that faith to grow. And friends, that's what was happening in Ephesus. These people were growing in their faith, and Paul was hearing about it. And not only did he note that they had a compelling faith, but God also develops then a committed love for his people. Did you see that in verse 15? He says, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, God is at work, but also and your love for all the saints. He heard about how they were actively loving all the saints. Not just the people that are easy to love and the ones that love us in some pretty evident ways, but even the difficult ones. You know, the extra grace required people, right? You know what I'm talking about? You, it's easy to love the ideal church. where Everybody's perfect. No one bothers you and everything's just the way you want. And they're always telling you how wonderful you are. But it's another to love the real church. And I can assure you, in Ephesus, just like Fellowship Bible Church, it was real. You had people from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of growth and levels of maturity. Some were been walking with God with a lot of vibrancy. Others were getting tripped up. Some were so brand new to the faith, they hardly even knew anything other than, like, I just am trusting in Jesus, but please help me to grow in him. I mean, you had people from all different backgrounds and all different problems and I want you to know they were learning to love one another. And notice he says, love for all the saints. There were times where Christians would come into Ephesus because it was a major port city. And these Christians would reach out and provide hospitality and care and warmth. And so they were loving, serving one another, helping each other in their needs, encouraging one another. They were doing the work of discipleship investing, helping people grow. All of this is an expression of love that is an outpouring and an outworking as one's faith in Christ, and they were doing it. And Paul says, you know what? I've heard of your faith in Christ and your committed love, how you love all the saints. And then he says in verse 16, so you know what? I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Isn't it interesting how we pray? Normally, like for instance, if we know someone is really out there and they're lost and they've they've lost their way and they're without God and they do not know Jesus, then, then we pray, right? And we're praying that they will come to know Jesus. And that's a very good thing. Or if there's like a significant problem, maybe it's a significant health problem, we'll we'll pray. But then we kind of leave it at that. And especially like if let's say like Jimmy is really lost, but then he comes and places his faith in Christ and we're like, that's awesome. And then what do we do? We drop Jimmy, right? We're just like, we never pray for him again, right? Why do we need to pray? Because he's now a Christian. I want you to know that's not how the Apostle Paul prays. He prays for believers to grow. He knows it is God who must do the work. 
Just like God is the one who has to bring transformation and salvation. I mean, you can have the most excellent presentation of the gospel, theologically very accurate, and you present it so very well. I'm a person like, nah, not really interested. I don't get, nah, nah, I'll take a pass, right? You're like, what's wrong with you? I said it all correctly. You need to know that only God can change a heart. And only God can produce the growth. I mean, you can have all sorts of great ministries, discipleship opportunities, opportunities to serve, grow. And they can be like right out there, really easy, right? But unless God is moving at the heart and causing someone to take those steps of growth, growth and grace, they might just remain. That's why Paul is praying. You know what prayer is? Prayer is like oil to your car, right? You know, your car isn't going to function well if it doesn't have oil. Uh, I actually know of a situation where someone had a really nice car and they never changed the oil. You know what happened? They totally fried the engine. You're done. Didn't someone tell you that you need to have oil for your car for it to run? I guess you didn't hear that part of the, the message about being an automobile owner. I want you to know that to be a Christian, to experience the life and the vibrancy of Christ, it comes with prayer. And Paul understands that, and that's why he's praying. He knows that God must do the work, and he's praying that he would. And notice, it's so interesting and insightful to learn from the prayers of the Bible. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you. If you're going through difficulty or or God seems to be distant, thankfulness brings clarity and closeness to God. Just being thankful for what you do see and do experience and do have and do know, all of a sudden you find like depth is being developed, and that's what Paul is doing. Paul knows that like Thanksgiving is like a telescope, and all of a sudden you see God much more clearly. You sense the nearness of his presence. He gives you the confidence that comes from living and walking by faith. And Paul knows that only God can provide the spiritual growth that is needed. So how does God develop depth in his people? How do we move past inch-deep Christianity? Well, look what God is doing. He's developing a compelling faith, faith in Christ, a committed love for the people of God. And third, he's developing a comprehensive relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, depth in life comes from really knowing and experiencing all that we have in Christ. How do you get to know someone? Well, if they're famous or semi-famous, you can read about them, right? You can hear stories about them. But if you really want to know someone, you have to interact with them personally, right? You need to spend time with them. There's no microwave process like one minute, instant, like I just know you really well. It doesn't work that way, right? It doesn't work that way with people, and it doesn't work that way with God. He wants us to get to know him. So how does Paul pray? Well, take a look at what he's praying for. Look at verse 17. He says, I want want you to know how I'm praying. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
I am praying that God would give you a spirit, an understanding, an ability to grasp how life really is, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge of him. The knowledge that is spoken of here is not just the the knowledge of facts, like I know these 10 truths about God, or I know these six different wonderful things about Jesus, but to actually know him personally, to know him as a friend, as your greatest confidant, your encour- his, his encouragement, to know his leadership and lordship in your life, that you were actually following his word. You are filled with the spirit, meaning you are yielded to God. You want what he wants. You want his will to be accomplished. You want to know him personally. You talk with him in prayer. You read his word. And that's what he's praying about. He's praying that I pray that you would grow in the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. God doesn't want you and I to remain at an inch deep level. He wants us to have a deep experience with God. And that's what Paul is praying for. And he's praying that God would open up their eyes so that they would see him as he really is. Look at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might know the fullness of what it means to be in Jesus Christ. You ever heard of AAA? Some of you are a part of AAA. Um, where like, there's a lot that comes with AAA, right? So for instance, you get a decal, right? And that's great, right? It's a very nice decal, and you can do whatever you want with that decal. Uh, you know, you can put it on a folder, you can put it on your fridge, you can put it on your forehead if you want, you could put it on the back of your car, but you definitely get a sticker if you join AAA or someone gives you a membership, or you actually can inherit a membership of AAA, I found out. But if that's all that you know, like you're just like, oh, it's so cool to be a part of AAA because I love the decal. It's just so cool, right? If that's all you knew, well, you'd miss out on really all the benefits of being in AAA. Like, for instance, I mean, if it provides you insurance, if you have like any sort of breakdown, roadside problem, guess what? All you have to do is make one phone call and there's going to be some helpful folks that are going to get you back on the road or get you where you need to be to get a repair done. But it's more than that. Like, you get discounts if you're involved in AAA, right? So, like, you go to, uh, to check out, like, well, how much is it to stay here at this hotel? And they go, this is $189. Are you kidding me? I'm like, whoa. And then like, they see, like, well, are you a part of AAA? I'm like, yeah, what does that have to do with it? Oh, well, you get a discount. That room is $89. Oh, okay. Really? That comes with my AAA? Yeah, if you're AAA. You get all sorts of discounts. And you do. And they also, like, they'll plan any trip for you. If you're part of AAA, you say, you know, I'm interested in going so-and-so. They're going to send you maps, magazines. They'll even send you a map with a highlighted best route to go with suggestions along the way. I mean, there is so much available to you if you have AAA. But if all you know is you get a really cool sticker and you're pretty satisfied with that, well, you'll miss out on all the benefits. That's what happens with a lot of Christians. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but in reality, you know very little 
of what it means to be in Christ. So what are the amazing benefits? Look at the greatness of what God provides. Look at even in verse 18. See how he's praying? I pray that the eyes of your heart, that you might see what really is belonging to you may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. When we use the word hope, it's more like a hope so. Like, well, I hope it doesn't hit 110 today in Waco. But we don't know. It, it might. It's really possible, right? Or like, I hope I get a bike for Christmas. It's, it's wishful thinking. But hope in the Bible is an absolute certainty. He says, I pray that you would know the absolute certain hope of your calling. Not just like, sometimes we refer to calling like, well, you're called to be a pastor or a missionary. No, the calling he's referring to here is that you've been called into Christ, that you are his eternally, that you will never be separated from him. The hope of his calling, you always belong to him. You are a part of his family. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise Friends, that's what he's praying, that we would be people of depth, to know the hope. And the hope is given to us in the Bible. But you've got to be a believer in Christ for the Bible to come alive. Some of you will recognize this name, Steve Bartkowski. Uh, He was an All-American when he played for UCAL Berkeley. Uh, He actually led the nation in passing. And then he went on to have a rather stellar career with the Atlanta Falcons. He was a Pro Bowl player multiple times. And I read this interesting quote from Steve Bartkowski, and he said this, For years, the Bible was a dead book to me, like grits without salt. Hmm, okay, grits without salt. But he said, But after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, it became alive. I saw that the Bible was God's way of talking to me. I want you to know, if you're not a Christian, like reading the Bible, you're like, come on, please. There's got to be so many more better, interesting things than the Bible. But I can tell you from even personal experience, after I placed my faith in Christ, all of a sudden this book became alive. I wanted to know God, and I wanted to understand this word. And this inexplicable insatiable desire to know truth, the truth of the word, it comes from God. The hope of my calling, I want to understand it, it's revealed in the pages of Scripture. And notice, not only is he praying that you would know the hope of his calling, but notice he also says this, verse 18, that you would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's praying that you would know the riches of your inheritance. Do you know that you already are experiencing just some of your inheritance? When you come to know Christ, you experience grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, his leadership and lordship in your life. He's given you the Bible, which is filled with his truth. He's given you his Holy Spirit who actually seals you and fills you. He will guide you, lead you, comfort you. God has placed you in the church You have a body of believers that love you or are committed to your growth. You have friends. You have faith. You have certainty of where you're going. You've got purpose, identity. Guess what? All of this is just part of your inheritance. But I want you to know that's just kind of like the down payment. Because the greatest aspects of your inheritance and mine 
is what is to come, right? It is to be in the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when we are present with him in his kingdom, we're going to experience the unending joy of his creativity, the immensity of his love, his power, his sovereignty, his greatness, the depth to see Jesus and to be with him. We will be in perpetual and continuous worship because we'll be in awe of who he is. We'll have the sweetest of fellowship with one another. All of the baggage and the problems of this life, the physical pain, the cancer, the sorrow, the difficulties, the relational breakdowns. Friends, I want you to know that all goes away because we will be with Christ and one with him always in eternity. Friends, the best is yet to come. The Bible gives us insight. He tells us about it. And he gives us everything we know to set our sights on him. Please, do not just fix on the here and now, on this earth, the horizontal. Yeah, life on this earth can be great. There's a lot of joy in walking with God, even despite all the difficulties and the problems. But friends, you need to know the best is yet to come, right? Uh, so Karina and I, we took off. We took a couple of weeks off. Uh, we were celebrating our 30th anniversary. And we had to celebrate. I mean, my wife has put up with me for 30 years, right? That deserves a nice trip, right? So we went to a place that we'd heard about, Park City, Utah. Never been there. Heard it was really cool in the mountains since I grew up in the mountains. Uh, I, I find them very refreshing. And so I, I like, we, we got this. So, you know, like reservations were made. We got plane tickets. Um, we even arranged it that our youngest Cameron could join us at the end of our trip. Um, it was and we were looking forward to it. I started doing research on Park City, and I, did you know this? And like, oh, it's a mining town. They had a ton of silver. And like, oh, okay. And, and it looked really cool. But then we actually got there. And I want you to know, it was far better than just even the descriptions that we had. I mean, for instance, it wasn't 107 degrees out. In the morning, it was like 52. You know what I'm saying? ideal weather to go outside and go running and to, and to hang out. And it, and it, you know, peaked out at like 75. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was absolutely fabulous, right? From a guy coming from Waco, man, I was like, this is pretty close to paradise, right? And like, and like the mountains, I mean, they were just majestic. I mean, don't get me wrong. We have some nice hills in Waco here, but they don't inspire on me like the mountains that I saw there in Utah. I mean, it was just awesome. And snow up there, beautiful rivers, ice cold. I mean, it was blue sky. It was great. And, and we just really took this all in. It was far ba- better than what was described. We made some great memories, had some great meals. Uh, they had this, you see this picture here? They had what's called the summit, and the, uh, the summer and the summit, where they had all of Main Street closed off, and they lined up with all these tables, and people would come and eat a meal out there. And it was just like, wow, how cool is this? I tell you this, friends, because this is just like a foretaste of what it's going to be like with God in heaven. I tell you, the best is yet to come. And so we set our sights on him. God wants us to have hope. He wants us to know about our inheritance because you're going to go through difficulty in life. You're going to face some suffering. You're going to go through trouble. You need to know that there is more than the dot uh, this, this dot on a, the line of eternity, there's more to this life. There's more to, than an earthly inheritance. There's the richness of his inheritance that we have in Christ. 
and he wants us to know it. Because when we know these things and focus on them and look forward to them, no pain, no tears, no breakdown, no cancer, no relational tragedies. Guess what? Friends, our life is filled with hope and we move forward in depth. And he also then, notice what he's praying for. And he prays that we would know the greatness of his power. Look at verse 19. And he says, and I want you to know what else I'm praying for you for. May God give you an understanding of verse 19 of what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You see what he's praying? He's praying that you and I would know the greatness of his power. You're not weak. You're not incapable. You've been united with Jesus Christ the resurrected one. And it is his power toward us that changes everything. If you want to understand the Apostle Paul, like who in the world would sign up for a ministry where you're going to be driven out of town, ridiculed, beaten, left for dead, rocks being thrown at you, imprisoned? What keeps a guy like Paul moving forward? Let me tell you. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What keeps you and I moving forward by faith, engaged in looking to have spiritual conversations, investing our lives in the development of people, of discipleship, willing to serve, looking to love? We're, let me tell you what motivates us to do that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the surpassing greatness of his power. The world thinks like, are you serious? You're giving your life to the church, to ministry, to serve Christ? You are wasting your life. Uh-uh. You might think that because you don't know the power of the resurrection. Life is filled with joy, meaning, purpose, identity. This is life as God designed it. It is found in the power of the resurrection. When I'm going through difficulties where it feels like, man, it is getting really rough with all the challenges, I want you to know it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that moves me forward. I'm going to keep trusting him. I don't know how it all is going to work out. Yeah, there's some big uncertainties over here, but I know who I am trusting, and I'm trusting in him who is resurrected from the dead. You know, we're so familiar with that term, the resurrection of Jesus But think about it. We're talking about Jesus Christ. He was scourged, beaten to a pulp, right? Nailed to a cross. Uh, He dies. When he dies, he cries out, it is finished. The centurion that was overseeing the executions that day goes, that man right there is the son of God. No one dies like that. And then, of course, remember, they took a spear and they lanced his side through his ribs. And then they... They wrapped him in a hundred pounds of like claws and myrrh and aloes, and they put him in a sealed tomb with Roman guards in front of it. And he rose from the dead. That is the absolute difference for every Christian. It is the resurrection of the dead. And notice what it says. It is the surpassing greatness of his power, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. It wasn't that just after the resurrection, 
Jesus ascended to heaven, and then he just retook his position of being with the Father. It's far more than that. Do you remember that God the Son entered into humanity, the incarnation? It's what we celebrate at Christmas. And he was born a human. He lived a perfect human life. He is in the line of David. He is the fulfillment of a promised son who would reign eternally. And it is this one, the one who is fully God, fully man, that went to the cross, paid for our sins, died, was buried, rose again on the third day, and he is the one who has ascended to heaven. And it says that he is seated there. And it's like this is a fulfillment of a prophecy that was given a thousand years prior to the event. In Psalm 110, verse 1, it says this, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. To sit at the right hand in antiquity meant to be a place of equal position. And what the Father is saying to the Son is, I am going to give you a kingdom. And your enemies, the ones who will not have you, reject you, refuse you, mock you, I want you to know that one day I will take the enemies of you and make them as a footstool for your feet. There is one who is reigning as absolute supreme king. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to know the fullness of what it means to be in him. And he says, and furthermore, verse uh, verse 21, he says this, that he is the one who is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You're like, well, what? What in the world is he talking about there, all rule and authority and power and dominion? What he's talking about there is the absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ. Any supposed gods or goddesses that the world might create or be actually infused with demonic power, they are nothing. They are in absolute subjection to him who is the one true God. And I want you to know, for the people of Ephesus... This was extremely important to them. You remember when we actually talked about the background of Ephesians and all the occult activity that took place there? The worship of Artemis and all these gods and the, and the witchcraft that was practiced there. If you want to know how significant witchcraft was in Ephesus, read Acts 19 and take a note of just how prevalent witchcraft was. And in the demonic world... And in the pseudo-spiritual world of, of Satan, and where witchcraft is practiced, naming the names of gods was a way of trying to control them or to have some sort of ownership over them. And it was very important in their incantations. This was for them a way of life to name the names of these spiritual authorities and rulers and demonic dominions. And what he's saying is, listen, that was your past life. You need to know that you are in Christ. You are under and in his name, and he is the one who is reigning supreme. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure they were facing all sorts of pressure, like, wait a second, what are you doing? You're putting yourself at spiritual risk if you're not like naming these other deities and, and focused on these folklore gods that we've had for all these times. They need to know, you know what? I am emancipated and freed from all of that. I'm in a relationship with the one true God, the resurrected Jesus Christ. He is the absolute proof. That resurrection is the absolute proof 
and he is the supreme deity. I have nothing to fear here. I'm in a relationship with God. And that's when he writes these things, I want you to know it is bringing them into greater depth. It is freeing them. It is giving them joy, strength, courage, and faith. And when he says, not only in this age, but in the one to come, when Christ actually, the one to come is when Christ actually will reign on this earth. It is the age that is to come. He says, friends, I want you to know the power that is found in Jesus. And furthermore, look what he says next. Not only is Christ over all the spiritual realm, he is the absolute ruler, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. He is the head of the church. Look at verses 22 and 23. And says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. You see that? He is the one who is the head of his body, which is the church. The church is called the body of Christ, and it's using imagery from the human body. So you have the head that controls the body, right? The body takes its cues and signals from the head. So when the head says, it is time to run, and, is, and you've actually been trained where you actually know how to move your arms and your legs, you actually start moving forward because you're responding to the signals given to you by the head. And what, what Paul is writing is telling us is that Jesus, all things are subject to him, and he, this very one who is the ruler of the universe, he is the head of the church. The body of Christ is his physical expression of him reigning, where God is doing his work through his people. And this tells us that we are not only filled with his presence, we are on a mission. When he talks about the being filled with the fullness, you see that? In verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In the old covenant, do you know how God's presence was known? He would fill the temple. His, it was called the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. It spoke of his essence of God's power. And they would say that the Lord has filled the temple with his presence or the Shekinah glory. But in the new covenant, the covenant that has been established by Christ, do you know where God's presence reigns and is being manifested? In the lives of his people. We have, just like we saw, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He fills our lives and he reigns and expresses his fullness through his people. And as you and I are subjected to Christ, we are together as the church, we are united in his kingdom. When we're responding to the signals that he has given us in his word through the power of his spirit, we are fulfilling what God intended for the church to be, a living expression of the fullness of his life. That means that we need to have a compelling faith a committed love to one another, and we need to be about the ministry and what he has asked us to do. And what did Jesus, what is the signal that he said? What are we to do? Does anybody know? Whoa. Remember what Jesus said right before he ascends to the Father? It's called the Great Commission. I want you to what? I want you to make disciples of all the nations. I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
I want you to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what I want you to do. This is what I've empowered. I am the supreme ruler, and I am moving my kingdom forward, and I'm going to do it through you. That's why Paul is praying. I want you to move past inch-deep Christianity. I want you to know the fullness of Christ. I want you to experience the depth that comes from relationship with him. And so that's what he's praying. And so, we, friends, when you and I start continue to grow in this relationship with Christ, you know what happens? We become a people of passion. We have a passion for God. We begin to believe things that we never understood, like, whoa. We start experiencing and expressing love like we never thought we ever could. All of a sudden, the issues of our past are settled, and we find, like, wow, I've got a new identity and a new hope. Our worship changes. We're not like, I'll just kind of get through the song here, barely move, really not a whole lot of heart into it. Like, all of a sudden, like, whoa, man, God is everything to me because we're moving to become people of depth. And friends, need to, you need to know this. Only God can bring the spiritual growth that his people need. Only God can do it. And that's why Paul is praying. You see, spiritual leaders know it's not that if you can give just people the right opportunities or the worship service is just right or this opportunity to serve is just put it before people. No, it doesn't work that way. It's God who must bring the growth.